Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. We've got the, this four-week series, so this is like the highlights. We can't do everything in the four weeks. Um, but of course, the other reason for thinking about doing it is because we're already hearing about Revelation uh, from, from the world and from churches and, you know, um, uh, government lift, li- limiting churches to 50 people is obviously government persecution and vaccine passports are obviously 666 and the mark of the beast. And so we're probably hearing all this stuff, uh, of, you know, going on about Revelation texts being applied, even by pastors. Um, and we're just confused. Are they right? Are they wrong? Am I right? Am I wrong? Um, so the current situation, I think, uh, means that a series on Revelation is also helpful. What, what, what really does it say? What are all these funny pictures and signs and wonders and numbers and everything? What, how do we understand them and how do we apply them? Um, and, 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 I, and I hope you'll find that useful in this current situation. Uh, give you some ammunition to tackle some of those uh, different ideas that are out there. So that, that was the reason uh, that we were going to put this, uh, this series into place. Uh, the, I suppose one of the, the big problems with Revelation, and you've probably tried to get through those other Revelation chapters yourself, um, it's, it's scary, isn't it? Weird signs and wonders, weird animals and creatures and funny numbers and all kinds of things going on. And um, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's kind of scary. Now, what's going on? And, and, and one reason we, we, we struggle to, to understand the book is because of the, the genre. The, so the, the, the genre or the, the character of the writing uh, we need to understand to, to help us get to that point where we can read Revelation without fear. So uh, it's the, the, the character is called apocalyptic literature. literature. It's actually the name of the book of Revelation in Greek is Apocalypsis. Um, and and when, we think, when we hear the word apocalypse, apocalypse, we think, oh, you know, end of the world and, and huge wars and, and chaos and fire and all those kind of things. Um, but then we're, we, we're, we're confusing apocalypse with Armageddon, okay? The battle at the end of the world is Armageddon. Uh, apocalypse is just a Greek word which means uh, opening or revealing, a bit like opening the curtains in the morning. You're, you're having an apocalypse when you're opening the curtains in your house in the morning. That's, that's all it is. Uh, but Revelation isn't the first example of apocalyptic literature in the Bible. There's a lot in the Old Testament, and, and the prophets... Uh, wrote some of their prophecies using the uh, apocalyptic style. So we're very used to saying, well, the Bible says, you know, and very often uh, when the Bible says, that's the way to take it. The Bible does say, and off we go. We're reading our histories, we're reading our gospels, we're reading Paul's letters, and the Bible says, that's fine, that's what the Bible says. But when you're reading apocalyptic literature, the rule is, uh, well, the Bible says, but it's, that's not what it's saying. So we can get that through our head, okay? So the Bible is saying one thing in apocalyptic literature, and we need to interpret it in another way. Um, it's the, the wrong way of looking at it, the literal way and the wrong way of looking at apocalyptic literature is to say something like, well, uh, God must be an ostrich because he shelters us in the shadow of his wings. That's, that's taking it too literally, it's, it's figurative language. And of course, 
That's, that's the trouble. When we're, how do you interpret figurative language? So we're going to do a little bit of that. I'm going to sort of take you through that interpretation process so that you can, you can apply that to other apocalyptic literature itself and, and, and the book of Revelation. So I, I hope it'll be... I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to preach a sermon but teach as well, and you know, let's see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Uh, we've, we've talked about uh, the imagery and the pictures. There's uh, also numbers, a significant revelation. Uh, so if you've read Revelation, you'll know number seven comes a lot, a long, a lot, a lot of the time, the number 12... Uh, 24, 1,000, and a very strange number called 1,260, which comes up an awful lot. We'll look at that as well. And, and the, the, the trick to understanding it is, is what do these signs, what do these numbers, what do they mean? And if we can get to the meaning of these things, we can actually find that we can understand the book. So Revelation wasn't written to confuse us. Revelation was written to help us uh, understand the world around us, and 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 you know it's meant in a sense it's meant to make sense, and 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 I hope as we go through this you will you will finish uh, the series thinking yes this now makes sense that's that's my goal that's what I want us to get to and and guess what it is possible it is possible to make sense of Revelation it's possible to read Revelation uh, without fear uh, one one of the reasons we sometimes struggle with all of this is. Is, is because we actually don't know our Old Testaments well enough. If, if, you, if we knew our Old Testaments better, then Revelation would actually not be so strange to us. Uh, if we had a, a Jew uh, with us this morning and he read Revelation for the first time, he would say, yeah, I, I know what's going on. All this stuff is familiar to me because he would know his Old Testament so well that the, the things going on in Revelation actually are business as usual. Um, and he would find himself uh, right at home. So for those of us who don't know the Old Testament and Revelation's a, a real headache, uh, there's a problem because all kinds of people are telling us that they know how to interpret Revelation and, and you should listen to them and go their way uh, you know, because they have, they have the understanding and you don't. And, and, and it's easy to feel second class, isn't it? You know, the conspiracy theorists and all these p clever people uh, they've got the truth, and, and, and we, we don't know, and we, we just feel lost and alone and, and second, second class, second best. And, and, and people can, can make the figurative language mean whatever they want. Uh, for example, have you noticed the month of March? Have you noticed the Sundays that we're meeting? Today is 7, next week, 14, 21, 28, then we finish. All multiples of 7, the divine number in Revelation. So you must listen to what I'm saying because this is obviously a sign from the Lord. <laughs> you, you see, you can you can make the numbers mean whatever you want. So and people do, people do. You know, COVID passports six six six, and off you go. Okay, a little bit more teaching before we get into the the sermon. So uh, on your handout, you can see uh, there are four schools historically four schools of. Uh, or schemes of interpreting the whole book. And um, I just want to throw these in just for your background information, uh, where you might hear them again. And, and you can see the variety, sorry, excuse me, the variety of the ways of looking at the book. So uh, the first one is called the, the Preterist, uh, the Latin 
prêter, or the French, prêt, prêt à manger, you've been there. You will remember you haven't, but if you've been to France, you will remember where The ready to eat. It, it, uh, the prêt means, prêter means it's done. It's ready, it's done, it's finished, it's over. And, and that school says, when you read the Revelation, you're actually reading history. All the stuff in Revelation, apart from the last two chapters, has already happened. Okay? Now that's sort of, it's easy, it's convenient, uh, because you don't need to read Revelation and try and work out what's going to happen. You just need to read Revelation and work out what's already happened. It's all happened. Okay? Uh, so it's easy, but it's not really helpful. You know, it all happened. It's all, everything's happened already. The second is the complete opposite. Okay? So uh, it says that the, everything in the book of Revelation, apart from the letters, is in the future. So none of it has happened yet. Okay? Um, the trouble is when we will look later, Revelation 1 verse 1, uh, the God actually says to John, I will show you everything that is to come, everything that's about to happen and, and far off in the future. And, and so there are stuff, there is, you know, the way God reveals this to John is some, some things that are going to be happening before the end times, okay? So, yes, there are aspects of what's in Revelation about stuff that's in the future, that is to come. But it's going a little bit too far to say that it's all in the far future and, and nothing is, is going to be fulfilled in, in our own day. So those are the two opposites when it comes to the timing. Uh, the third one sounds a little bit like the first one, the historicist. Um, but the historicist is saying some things have been fulfilled already, uh, some things are happening now, some things will be in the future. So <clears throat> we can understand Revelation as a kind of uh, history of the world. Okay, It's filling in all the information between Jesus' return to heaven and, and, and then his final uh, return to earth. And it's all in a, a consistent, historical, systematic order. Okay? So it's following that kind of systematic uh, framework. That's, that's a little bit more helpful. It's, it's seeing Revelation as, uh, as telling us things you know, between the, the two comings of Jesus. Um, but it's, it's a little bit too strict for me. Um, I, I think if we say it's all happening in chronological order, um, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure. I think there's more going on. Uh, the last one is uh, a little bit of a cop-out. It's the spiritual version. It's called eclectic or the idealist. It's, uh, it's saying that everything in Revelation, all, this, all the teaching and all the lessons are, are, are teaching us spiritual things. They're things of spiritual significance, not worldly uh, significance. So we, we don't apply Revelation to the, the things of history and the things that will happen on this earth. They are, they're written for, to help us spiritually. Um, and, and that's true as well. There are certainly spiritual lessons for us uh, in the book of Revelation, but I find it's a bit of a cop-out to say it, doesn't, it can't be applied to the things that are happening in, in the world. Um, the, the last interpretation, I call it the gunning version, and uh, that's the one we'll follow, actually, in this series. Um, it's, it's the one which says we can take a little bit of truth from all of these four things. Okay, each of these four schools of thought have a little bit of truth about them, and, and that's what we'll do. We'll, we'll pick the best things of all of them. So some of the things were, were being fulfilled, some are for the far future. Uh, they, are, they are things that are going to happen in history, 
but there are spiritual lessons for us as well. So that's the kind of methodology that I'll be choosing. So what, what can we look forward to in, in the series? Um, the first thing is what I won't do, okay? I won't give you all the possible uh, interpretations of all the signs and wonders that everybody's come up with all throughout history, and then we'll just stay at Yusong for the whole week and do all those things. We, we're not going to do that, okay? So we're going to be very selective. And, and for, the, for the main things that we look at, I'll, I'll try and give you one main interpretation, one way of looking at it that, that kind of makes sense, okay? So you can get an idea from uh, each passage that we read uh, one, one way of interpreting it and one possible meaning of it, so at least we can, get, we can go home thinking, yeah, I understood that bit, okay? So it, it will just take too long to do all the varieties of all the interpretations, but, but I want to give you one sensible interpretation of each thing uh, as we go along. So the idea is to kind of take confusion away. Um, let's not go home with a confusing number of different possibilities, but let's go home with one thing that makes uh, one, one thing that makes sense. Um, yeah, there's a there's a risk to that. There's a risk in trying to be too logical and too sensible that we miss the wonder, isn't it? You you read Revelation and your eyes go wide, and as Brian says, you know, the Lord is shouting and your ears are, are, are dinned and. And you're, wow, you're just blown away. Well, we want to keep some of that blown awayness, some of the wonder. We want to keep that. We don't want to make it so logical and, 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 and that, it, that it loses all the wonder, you know? Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm aware of that danger as well. Um, but, uh, but, but I think most of us, when we look at Revelation, we already know about the wonder, you know? Uh, but we'd like a little bit more clarity, please. So that's what I'm going to try and do. Bring some clarity to the wonder, but, but not have so much logic that the wonder gets thrown out of the window as, as well. A little bit more about the methodology. So we've got four weeks together. Uh, if you've seen the Facebook page, you'll see a little program there. Uh, if, you, if you spotted the deliberate mistake, come and see me afterwards. I'll see who's awake. Okay, there's a deliberate mistake there. Well, maybe not so deliberate. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, but that gives you a reading plan. It shows you the chapters we'll be focusing on each week. So you're welcome to read those chapters ahead of time. And so when, when next week and the week after, you'll come ready, prepared. So uh, the, the chapters and the topics are there on the Facebook page. But what I'm going to add as well are the, 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 the difficult the difficult topics as well. So they're not on the Facebook page. I've just, we've just got the chapters on the Facebook page. But as we read through the chapters, I'll be highlighting the, the chestnuts, the thorny issues, the, the, the difficult things that are contained in those passages which, which cause us problems and difficulties to interpret. So things like 666 and the millennium and, and all these things and the, the seal of the Holy Spirit and, and all this kind of stuff. As we, as we come across those topics in the chapters, we'll deal with them as well. So there's a kind of chapter framework and a kind of topical framework, and we'll try and hit both of those things uh, at, at the same time. So let's get on to the text. Uh, if you've got the book on your Bible or on your phone, have a look at chapter 1. And uh, the, the, the background to the whole book is, is a state persecution. So the the early church is growing up in the Roman Empire, 
and uh, at various stages the church has been uh, persecuted by the Roman Empire. Uh, I suppose we're, we're about in the 90s, 90 AD, and, and the biggest persecution so far was that under Nero uh, in, the, in the 60s. Uh, Nero, who um, burnt most of Rome down for, to increase his palace, uh, we think, and then blamed it on the Christians, and uh, both Peter and Paul were killed under the persecution of Nero. Time's moved on. We're about 30 years later, and persecution has come again, and, and it's official state persecution. So the, the church is growing. It's present throughout the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire has decided that Christians shall suffer and, and the church shall be reduced. Um, we'll see this a little bit later. One of the policies was in the Roman Empire that you must worship the gods of the Roman Empire. And you show your loyalty to the empire by worshipping the Roman gods. And, when have, and you can imagine that Roman Empire, Rome was just such a small part of it. Most people in the Roman Empire were not Romans, and they, they had different gods. And it, it was a way of unifying the empire, having, having a unified religion. Uh, some of the emperors also thought that they were gods as well, and they added their own names to the list of gods to be worshipped. And, and what would happen would be, the, from time to time, the emperor would say, okay, this week is an official worship week. Go to your local temple, worship the gods, and when you leave, you'll get a receipt. You'll get a stamp saying you've worshipped. And then I'll send my secret police around and we'll check. Okay? And woe betide you if you can't produce your piece of paper. So that kind of thing was going on even now. And, of course, that's... We'll look at the later, the, the seal of Satan, where you couldn't buy and sell, and you couldn't do this and that and the other. That's the receipt that you got when you worshipped at the temple of the Roman gods. But we'll come to that later. Uh, so that's what's going on. State persecution of the church, Christians uh, being locked up or killed, uh, certainly being checked up on for their receipts, and, and you know your job prospects and, and where you live, all these things are tied to having this receipt. Uh, things are not pleasant. And, and so God is wanting to encourage his people in a time of state persecution and suffering. Uh, John is himself uh, persecuted. Uh, he's on the Isle of Patmos. You can see chapter 1, verse uh, 9. Uh, this is a little island. It's, it's a Greek island, but it's just off the coast of Turkey. And it's a little island. It's a bit like the, the Roman Alcatraz, I suppose, you, you could say. You're, you're put in prison on there, and there's no way you're getting off. Uh, because you're not going to be able to swim uh, to freedom. And, and it may be that uh, the, the Roman uh, uh, Empire decided that John should be made an example of. He, he's the last living of the 12 apostles. And maybe the, the empire is going to make an example of him. If we, can, if we can lock up the last of the apostles, we're sending a message uh, to the church. If we're not afraid to lock up this guy, then we, we're not afraid to lock up uh, the rest of you. Uh, so, so that's John. <clears throat> that's his situation. When he's in prison, then heaven is opened. God reveals to him uh, all of these things. So let's just have a look at, at 1 to 3, Revelation 1, 1 to 3, the revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, which uh, God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. 
Uh, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And here's the blessing. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. And, and so these words are written for our blessing, you know, not for our confusion and our concern and our nightmares at three o'clock in the morning and all this kind of stuff that tends to happen when we read Revelation. It's meant to be a blessing. And I, th I think that's been my goal in preparing the notes and in preparing the teaching. I, I, want, to turn, I want to turn Revelation into a blessing for us. Uh, and I want us to be blessed because of what we're learning uh, about the study, uh, not the opposite. So that's where we're going with this. I hope that's okay, a good explanation. Uh, we're not going to read everything. Uh, we're going to jump here to there. And so we're going to jump to Revelation 4. We'll just read it through and, and feel the wonder. Uh, that's, that's the right way to do it, I think. Um, so uh, John's been given all these seven letters from Jesus to the seven uh, churches. Uh, and now he's getting more revelations uh, and more visions and more signs and wonders. Uh, John says this in chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, uh, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before... Have I jumped? I've missed. I've jumped. Da, da, da. Yes, no, no. That would do fine. Sorry. Um, I, have, I have missed. What have I done? What have I done? What have I done? Bum, 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 bum. We're back in chapter one. Yes, sorry, sorry, come back, come back. I have jumped. So, whew. It was revealed ahead of time. There we go. Uh, let's go back to chapter one, verse, <laughs> verse, verse nine. Uh, beg your pardon on that. Uh, verse eight will start, chapter one, verse eight. Uh, Jesus is introducing himself. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and who who is and who was and who is to come. Alpha and Omega, for all you Greek students, know that they, that's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. Um, as uh, Brian and Dana would say, it's from A to Z. Uh, normal people say A to Z, but that's the meaning for us, okay? It's the beginning and the end. Uh, and God, who, who was Alpha, who is today, and who is to come, Omega. So, that's, that's his eternal nature, and this is the God who is speaking uh, to John. Uh, verse 9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, Sunday, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These are all uh, churches on, in the western part of Turkey, uh, most of them uh, planted by Paul during his missionary journeys. Uh, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And amongst the lampstands was someone like a son of man, uh, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. We've heard that from Brian already today. Uh, in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. 
His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you've seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. We're getting a feel for the numbers already, aren't we? There's numbers involved here. Uh, just uh, to reassure you, Jesus hasn't had a heavenly makeover, okay? Remember what we said? It's figurative language. So uh, Jesus is still looking like a normal human being, as one of my pastors used to say. There's a man in heaven now. Now that Jesus has gone back, there's a man in heaven. He's still fully human. It's figurative language used to help us understand uh, who Jesus is. And a, a lot of these images go straight back to the Old Testament. And, and I think you'll be amazed, you'll be surprised as we go through this. It's constantly going back to the Old Testament. Uh, the, the lessons and the signs and the teachings and the significance of these things are already written. And, and people, we're, we're meant to read this description of Jesus and, and, and make all these links to the Old Testament. And, 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 that's, the, and that's, that's the point. All this stuff makes sense, would you believe? So uh, let's, let's, let's go through it. There's the wonder, but let's go through it. And let's try and get some understanding. Verse 13, a little in, in my NIV, it's uh, written in uh, speech marks, quote marks, like a son of man. Okay, this person is like a son of man, which, which of course, refers to the humanity of this person. Uh, but in Daniel 7 and 13 and 14, there's a reference to the Son of Man. Daniel had a vision of, of someone like a Son of Man. And, and that Son of Man was going to bring in God's kingdom uh, through all the, the kingdoms of the world rising and falling. In a sense, this, this Son of Man was to come and, and he would bring about God's fulfillment of, of history and, and God's purposes. And, and so this Son of Man in Revelation 1 is the Son of Man from Daniel 7. And, and, and he is the one uh, through whom God's purposes come to fulfillment. He's wearing a golden sash. Uh, that's uh, verse 13 uh, as well. And that's a sign of his high priesthood. The sash is, was worn by the high priest. It's a golden one because Jesus is the great high priest. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 12. He, he's, he's our great high priest because uh, no, no high priest ever in the history of the Old Testament ever sacrificed himself. The work of the high priest was to sacrifice animals for the sins of the people. Our great high priest sacrificed himself for our sins. And so he, he wears the golden sash. He, he's the great high priest. He's, he's the... He's the original high priest of which all the others were just copies and, 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 and shadows and pictures and preparation. And, and so the golden sash so shows us that he is the great high priest who, who himself died uh, for his people. Uh, his white hair is also a reference to uh, Daniel uh, 7 uh, verse 9. Um, so this, this son of man... Uh, the, his eyes of fire, that's, that's judgment. 
um, and, and Jesus is the appointed judge uh, at the end of time. And uh, fire is a picture of purification and, and judgment as well. So, so his, his eyes with flames leaping out of them uh, is a sign that he is the appointed judge. Uh, his bronzed feet, uh, I love this verse from Isaiah 52, verse 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. And, and polished feet uh, is a picture of, of Jesus' readiness to obey God and, and, to, and, to, and to send God's message out there. It's, they're, they're, they're the shining feet of the messenger of God. Uh, and, and, and the messenger is willing, his feet are ready uh, to travel and to go where God has sent him. A bit like uh, Isaiah, which we'll look at, at later, when, when God is looking for a messenger uh, to send. And Isaiah doesn't say, here am I, send him, does he? He says, here am I, send me. He's, he's willing to go himself. Uh, the seven stars we've seen, there are the churches, the seven golden lampstands, uh, are the seven churches. Uh, and then the, uh, the seven stars in verse 16 uh, is that's just a, a sign or a number or a picture of the Holy Spirit. Um, throughout Revelation, we'll come across the, the seven spirits of God. Um, it's just a remind. It's not saying that there are you know nine people in the Holy Trinity. That's not what it's saying. It's it's the seven. The Holy Spirit is represented by the seven spirits. Seven is the number of perfection, uh, and so the Trinity is still the Trinity: Father, Son. And Holy Spirit, but the, the Holy Spirit is represented by the seven, the sevenfold spirits of God. And the last picture here is this uh, this double-edged sword coming out of, of Jesus' mouth. Worth having a look at Ephesians chapter six, uh, verse fifteen. The the armor of God, very famous uh, passage, and. Uh, Ephesians 6 verse 17 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is uh, the word of God. Uh, both, both in prophecy and in printed form, I think. And uh, that, that word, I, I love this picture in, in Ephesians 6 17. The, we've, we've looked at the armor of God, where we need to protect ourselves from the attacks of Satan. And, but we also have a sword. That means we go on the attack as well. Okay, so spiritual warfare is not just about defense, which is important. Uh, ask Liverpool about that. It's just not <laughs> about defense. We need to have an attack. You know, don't substitute Sahar at halftime because he's your goal scorer. Cop, what are you doing? Anyway, but we've, we've got both equipment. We've got equipment to defend ourselves from Satan and a sword to go on the attack and take ground from Satan. And, and the equipment that we see here is this sharp, double-edged sword. And if there's one thing which represents the, the, the military might of the Roman Empire, it was their double-edged sword. So why, how and why did the Romans manage to get this huge empire? It's basically because of this double-edged sword. Most swords at the time had one edge to them, and you could only use them in one direction. And, you know, the, the double-edged sword means you could use forehand and backhand. You, you, doubled, you doubled the fighting efficiency of your soldiers with a double-edged sword. And the Romans were really the first person to come up with this sword and, and to make it strong enough. Uh, their, their forging techniques uh, enabled them to make this incredibly efficient and powerful weapon. 
And, and this is what we have. This is what the word of God is. It's our, it's our defense, but it's also our attack. And, and, and this is what Jesus has. Uh, this is what Jesus is speaking. He's speaking the word of God. Uh, and so the, all these pictures of Jesus, he's a normal human being like you and like me, but he's pictured in this way to, to give us a, a picture, to help us understand who he is and what he's like uh, and all his, his characteristics. So I hope that helps uh, understanding uh, that, that picture of Jesus. Now we'll have a look at Revelation chapter 4. Hooray, we finally get there. So uh, after the letters are written and, and John has this uh, uh, second vision uh, and uh, the, the heaven is standing open, verse 1, after this I looked uh, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven uh, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne, and surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him. This is Rico Vecca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.